You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Jamesy, today's story is an excerpt from Genesis 1-3 through 3 in the Jesus Storybook Bible. God looked at everything he had made. Perfect, he said, and it was. But all the stars and mountains and oceans and galaxies and everything were nothing compared to how much God loved his children. And so it was that the wonderful love story began. Adam and Eve lived happily together in their beautiful new home and everything was perfect for a while until the day when everything went wrong. God had given Adam and Eve only one rule. Don't eat the fruit on that tree, God told them, because if you do, you'll think you know everything. You'll stop trusting me, and then death and sadness and tears will come. As soon as the snake saw his chance, he slithered silently up to Eve. Does God really love you? The serpent whispered. Does God love me? Eve wondered. Suddenly she didn't know anymore. Just trust me, the serpent whispered. You don't need God. One small taste, that's all. And you'll be happier than you could ever dream. Eve picked the fruit and ate some. And Adam ate some too and a terrible lie came into the world. A dove flew from Adam's hand. A deer darted in the thicket. It was as if they were frightened by something. Later that evening, as God was taking his walk, he called to them, Children? Usually Adam and Eve loved to hear God's voice and would run to him, but this time they ran away from him and hid in the shadows and terrible pain came into God's heart. His children hadn't just broken the one rule, they had broken God's heart. They had broken their wonderful relationship with him, and now everything he knew would break. God's creation would start to unravel and come undone and go wrong. From now on, everything would die. You will have to leave the garden now, God told his children. This is no longer your true home. It's not the place for you anymore. This is the word of the Lord. I'm like listening to yourself. Great. <laughs> Children. Uh, good morning, my friends. Uh, it's my son, James. I so wild seeing how big he is on that because I remember when he was just like really small and uh, he would just cry uh, all the time. I used to call him my milk bag because um, that's just what he was, just a place I kept milk. And, uh, <laughs> and he couldn't really express his needs and he didn't really know himself. And so he would just whine because he had these, these feelings he couldn't. But then as he got older, much like you see him now, he's almost three, it was amazing. He started to be able to talk and express himself more. He started to know his wants and his desires. And, and there was something, uh, there was this day last fall, uh, it was a really like beautiful moment. If you have kids, 
or maybe you have a niece or a nephew or a, a, a friend of a, a child of a friend. So you've maybe experienced something like this moment. But uh, he came to me and he expressed some desires that he wanted. Namely, he wanted milk first. Some things never change. Um, and two, uh, he wanted cozies. Now, cozies in our house is slang uh, for, for him and I like cuddling up together. And just kind of like while we're there. And so like he, he gets in this little spot and I'm kind of built like a, a California king with like a nice <laughs> pillow top. So he like, he just gets in his space and he's like, this is mine. He gets his milk. And then he's like, uh, I want to watch basketball. And oh. I thought it was going to be years and a lot of just like, you know, slow uh, intimidation to get like basketball, but just right away, you know, the Lord meets us uh, in the desires of our heart. And so he asked for basketball. And so we had this moment where, you know, we're, we're, we're in our living room and, and he's got his milk and he's cuddled in and, and he knows what he wants and he's asked for it and he's just at peace with himself. And then he and I are just like bonding and it's just like, beautiful. And then like our house can get like a little drafty. It's a hundred years old. And, uh, and so this day it was like warm. And so it was like just so perfect. Like everything was just in harmony, if you can picture it. Uh, there's actually, uh, I guess in Hebrew, you would say that it's, it's tov meod, tov meod. That's a, that's a word that, that happens in Genesis 1 after God's created all of creation, right? Uh, and in verse 31 in chapter one, it says, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Tov meod, chef's kiss, mwah. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Everything's in harmony. And just like God has established this man, and in man, there's this, there's this harmony of relationships that's, that's taking place and when we see in the beginning of Genesis. And you got to remember, Genesis uh, is, is poetry, right? If you come into Genesis asking the questions of like when and where, you're going to miss what's happening here because Genesis is really about who and why. It's about God creating a people. Why? Because he's expressing himself. He's showing his glory. He's inviting in the nature of love, this divine dance that he shares as a Trinitarian being. And so we come into this tov meod and this beauty and this harmony of relationships, and we see that man has this beautiful relationship with God. Uh, verse 5, I think it's really beautiful, 5 through 7. There's this 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 thing that you can really miss that happens here. Uh, this verses say this, now no shrub had yet appeared on the earth and no plant had yet sprung up for the Lord God had not sent the rain. And then there was no one to work the ground. And then skip down to verse seven. Then the Lord God formed a man. So what's happening here is you've got these three circumstantial clauses. There was no shrubs. Uh, there was no one to work the ground. Uh, and God hadn't sent the rain. And then we have this narrative verbs. And then God said, God said, hey, I'm going to then, for, or God formed man. And this is a callback to Genesis 1. Because if you go back to there, you can see the same structure happened at the very beginning of the Bible. Verse 2 says, now the earth was formless and empty, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and God was hovering over the waters, and then let there be light, God says. Right, we have these circumstantial causes. This is the, the situation that's happened, and then God moves, right? 
And just like in the beginning, there's this, there's this, this promise. There's this potentiality for life and beauty and flourishing. And then God brings it to its fullness. In the same way, you have this earth that has all this promise, but it needs someone. It needs something to maintain it and care for it. And so God meets that void by bringing about a man. And it's interesting when you see the parallels of these two verses here. They show the the nature of God in two ways. One in chapter one, where we see God speaking, right? And there's this God overall. He takes the void and he speaks a word and then boom, here comes life. Here comes the earth. Here comes all of creation. But to speak is kind of rather maybe not so intimate, right? I can yell across the way to you in the back so you can hear me, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we are necessarily in relationship. It just means that you're in the sound of my voice. And so we get this this aspect of God's overall Yahweh, God above everything nature. But then when we come into chapter 2, there's this word here, another Hebrew word, yasar. And yasar is this word... It's the picture of a potter, right? Uh, Think like ghost, you know, Patrick Swayze, just like in the will. There's this beautiful relationship here. And there's like this forming. There's a putting it into a mold. Like that's what what this Yatsar word means. And this is the word that is used in Genesis 2 when it talks about God forming man. So God takes the clay, takes the earth, and he forms and fashions a man. And then he breathes life into it. And this shows the intimate nature of God. He is both dispassionate and passionate. He is above above it all and in it all. He speaks from afar. He puts his hand in the dirt, right? And so man has this beautiful relationship with God. But man also has this beautiful relationship with creation around him. Genesis 2.15 says, The Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and to take care of it to work and to care. There's this beautiful thing. Is, there's, this idea, there's this picture of a gardener, right, that's cultivating. Adam is sent. The first people are sent. Man is sent in the middle of this garden to look after it, to nurture it, to speak to it, to give it life, to oversee it. Then secondly, in 19 and 20, the verses say, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, and he brought them to man to see what he would name them. Whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds and the sky and all the wild animals. And so we have here man in this beautiful relationship with creation as he names it. What an intimate thing to name, to give something its identity, its reference point. This is the relationship that man has with his surroundings. But man's also in good relationship with God, and man's in good relationship with creation, but man's also in good relationship with itself, both individually and communally. We see this in these two verses at the end of chapter 2, where after it says that that God has has formed Adam and Eve, Adam uh, doesn't have in the animals something that can really be his helpmate, and so God puts him to sleep and takes a rib and forms a woman. And so these two are one. So out of this one becomes two, but then these two come back to one. And so this is what the scriptures say. This is why a man leaves his father and his mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. There's There's this intentionality of relationship. Adam, and then Eve, but then now they become this this 
synergy, this synergetic being, this, this, this dual force, right? And so God is saying, this is the way that I've designed these things, that man would move back in harmony to itself. But then also in verse 25, it says, Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. I mean, I was squirming just listening to myself. Uh, for lots of reasons, I would not show myself naked. But, uh, <laughs> but if that was appropriate in any way, uh, I would not do it because I am human and I bear the same shame that a lot of us do when we look in the mirror. But Adam didn't have that. Eve did not have that. They were shameless, naked before one another, and before God and before all of creation. There's this tov meod, this harmony, the very goodness of all things. But there's also something lurking. We see it in verse 3 right away, that in comes this, this snake. But where did the snake come from? And the craftiness that it brings, where did it come from? Well, we know a couple of things in Job 38, 4 through 7, that it tells us as, as, as God is, is, is questioning Job and as, as he's responding to Job's contempt for him. And he's saying, Job, where were you when I set the foundations of the earth? And then he says, when the morning starts singing together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. And so we know that before the earth was created, there were these angelic beings. They were the sons of God and they were in existence. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus speaks and he says, uh, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven, right? And so we know that Satan both existed before the earth and then at some point he was cast out of heaven. And then where he goes, well, we know that he's been given some dominion or some quarters in earth and then eventually given dominion. So this is what we know when we come into Genesis 3, that there is this propensity for brokenness already present in the cosmos. Evil already exists in the ethos. And in this tov meod, in slides the thing that's lurking. We call this evil. For our purposes, we define evil as the breaking of right relationships, right? And so when evil comes into the world, those perfect, harmonious relationships start to bend. Small cracks start to appear. We see this right in the transition of Genesis 2 to Genesis 3. In Genesis 2, again, it ends with Adam and his wife were both naked. We have some Hebrew wordplay that happens here. The word naked is arom. It means naked. It means without gal. It means innocent, pure, unclothed. They felt no shame. The very next verse says this. Now the serpent was more arum. The people were arum. The snake was arum. Arum is this word that means crafty and beguiling. He's a trickster of sorts. He's kind of up to something. And there's this contrast here, right? Because on the one hand, you have these people that are without gal. They're so innocent and naked that they can just be free amongst themselves. And then you have this snake that's kind of preying on the innocent. 
evil has entered. The, those without guile are becoming beguiled by the simple question. Can you really not eat from the tree in the garden? This is what the snake says to the woman. And it's this question that starts a whole chain of events. It starts a small crack in her mind. And Eve wonders. Well, he said we could eat of everything, but we couldn't eat and we could not touch, which he did not say. He did not say you couldn't touch it. He said not eat it. But she's starting to elaborate. Yeah, yeah we're like, we can't even touch it. Oh, but then verse 6 says this. The woman saw that the fruit of tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom. So those relationships start to break down and then she makes a choice. Verse 6 says she took some and ate it. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. And here is the moment where evil gives birth to sin. When we talk about sin, what we're talking about is any human activity that breaks right relationships. And I want to stress the word activity because it's just vague enough to contain the fullness of what we mean. Because it's not just sin, it's not just me striking out or hitting the other person, but sin also happens in my thoughts. Sin also happens not just in what I do, but in what I don't do, right? Sin is anything, both ethereal, metaphysical, physical, practical, literal, or figurative, that I do that breaks any relationship, my relationship with God, relationship with myself, relationship to the world around me. It's any human activity that breaks right relationship. This is sin. And when we see it in the garden, it comes with Eve eating some forbidden fruit and Adam, her husband, joining her in the same. But what do these broken relationships look like? Well, let's start with self. Verse 7, right after this, the scriptures say, then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, and so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. And so we have this move from security to insecurity. Immediately, they move, I'm from the South. We have two words for naked. There's naked, meaning you don't have any clothes. And there's naked, which means you don't have any clothes and you're up to something. <laughs> and so they move from naked to naked. And something's not right. All of a sudden, there's shame. All of a sudden, that body dysmorphia comes. I'm sure the first eating disorder is found right here. Where she whispered, they, they desire that they could get rid of what they just eaten. And the hate with oneself comes. Not just hate with oneself, but hate with each other. And so they, they so close because I don't want to look at myself, but I also don't want to look at you. Insecurity is brought. And relationship with self is broken. But not just relationship with self. Go to the next verse, verse 8. 
The man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden of the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. We move from that intimacy of Yassar, God putting his hands on his creation and creating it and forming it, being in right relationship. They used to take walks, and now they hide. Maybe you know this, this kind of separation from God. We move from intimacy to separation. So they squirrel away, but God finds them. And then again, that self comes and they start blaming and pointing fingers. They point fingers at each other, then they point fingers at the snake. And then there's consequences. God gives them a consequence for the decisions, the sin that they have wrought. He tells He tells Adam in verse 17, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground. And so we have this final breaking of a relationship, first with self, then with God, but then with creation itself. Man and creation are at enmity. Man moves from work and care towards the land to toil and contempt. We were always called to put our hands into the ground, but in the beginning, it yielded itself freely to us, and we worked in partnership. But after sin enters, now there's a fight. Now the sweat comes. Now we work. And the ground curses us and we curse it until the day that it consumes us when we die. So all that Tov Mayot is just gone in a single instant. It's amazing how quickly something so good can devolve. We were sitting there watching the basketball game, and we're like almost to halftime. And um, there's also something lurking when you have a toddler, uh, a toddler who isn't potty trained. Uh, It is the fear of becoming the potty. Um, And so like a few weeks before this, my wife had been holding Kim and got an emptied bladder that soaked her through right onto her. And so as I'm sitting here enjoying this basketball game, we're having this beautiful moment, that specter comes into my mind. He just drank a lot of milk. (laughs) We should probably go to the potty. And so I say, hey, hey, buddy, uh, we got to go upstairs. We got to, let's take a break. Let's go take a potty break. And he was not really ready for that. And so he starts to protest. No, no, I don't want to go upstairs. No, 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 we'll stay here. I'm like, buddy, we, got, we have to. And so I put him off the couch and put him on the floor. His cup is sitting by the floor. And I'm saying, hey, buddy, will you pick up your cup and let's take it upstairs? Refuses. I will not pick up the cup. No. And not only does he say no, which in and of itself is disrespectful enough. Um, 
to really put some mustard on it, he takes his hands and he puts it behind his back. So just so you know, mind and body, I'm not here for this. Not going to do it, no. And so I enter now into uh, negotiations. Buddy, will you please pick up the cup? We'll come back down. Not gonna do it. Buddy, will you please just, uh, will you just let me take you to the potty? I'll get you some more milk. Not gonna happen. So back and forth we go, and this, these cracks start to form. And what was just a beautiful morning, Finally, finally, he relents. He picks up the cup, and I'm like, oh, okay, all right, here we go. So we go to walk up the stairs, and he gets to the stairs, and he takes two steps up, and then he stops. And I'm right behind him. And I watch as time and time this happens. It's as if something has whispered to him. Do you really want to take this cup upstairs? <laughs> and he thought, and he said, nah. And so he takes the cup and spikes it onto the stairs. And it pops down the stairs. And I'm just like, what's going on here? Like we were, did you not remember? Like the cozies, like we were doing, what is happening, buddy? I'm just like, dude, pick up the cup. Not going to do it. And I'm sitting here, and I'm like, he also has to potty. So I can't sit here and waste time with the negotiations. So I'm just like, dude, would you just please, okay, just get up the stairs. I'll get the cup. So I grab the cup. He's got his hands crossed. He storms up the stairs. When we get to the top of the stairs, mom's in the kitchen, and, and I'm just kind of exasperated. We're like, this relationship, this goodness that we had is kind of breaking down here. And right when we're about to turn to the potty, he turns around and he's like, you know what? He bites me. <laughs> I don't know when the last time you've been bit. <laughs> but where I come from, you call what we say, you get these hands, you know? And in that moment, I'm like, but you can't do that to a child. I don't want to go to jail, you know? So I'm like, okay. And so I'm just like, anger just shoots through my body at first and pain because he's got a lot of teeth. <laughs> and he bites me. And I'm like, whoa! I hope I said that. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, no, sir. To your room. I couldn't, in that moment, the best thing for he and I was like, you have got to get far away from me. I am not, I am hazardous to your health. Go to your room. Go to a timeout. And there's this thing we always say when we send them to timeout. It's this, we say, go sit on your bed Think about the decisions that you're making. And so he just, off to his room. And I go to my room, because I'm hurting. <laughs> really hurt, but it also hurt in my heart. Because it was just so beautiful a moment ago. And I was just looking out for him. 
I mean, I was looking out for myself, yes, also. But, but I was looking out for him, too, because, like, he's got to learn to go to the potty. I'm trying to train him up. And he just didn't get it. And he just rebelled. And he rebelled against himself. He rebelled against the environment. He rebelled against me. And so we were broken. And this is what sin does. Because the evil makes way for sin. And then sin, when fully matured, it brings death. And this is what death is. Death is the result of broken relationships. We're in good relationship, and then evil creates the environment for sin to be born, and evil starts breaking those relationships, and then in sin, we start actively making choices to break the relationships, and eventually, we're torn, and things are separated, and we can't be together. This is where Adam and Eve's sin left them. Separated from their father. Verse 22, the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. So the Lord God banished him from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. So God in this like physical presence takes his children and says, this is no longer your home. Your choices have brought death. Your choices have broken our relationships. And so he sets them out of the Tov Mayod, the very good harmony of all things. This is also where we found ourselves, outside of the garden. Evil is still lurking in this world. And sin, the scriptures say, passed through Adam, but then was carried on by each of us and the decisions and the activities that we have wrought. So we find ourselves born into this world, separated from God, left to consider the decisions we're making, left contending with death. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next eight weeks as we move into Easter. We're going to be going through a series called Contending with Death. To give you kind of a meta picture of what we've been going through, we've spent the last eight weeks deconstructing renovation. And the purpose of that was unpacking the stories we have lived. How do we go back and how do we examine the things that have happened to us and find where Jesus is working? And now we're entering into this phase where we're gonna, we're gonna perceive, we're gonna examine the stories that we're living. We're gonna consider the decisions that we're making and how death is still wrought upon us. How there is still a capacity for the breaking of right relationships and how we are still participating in activities that break relationships with God, break relationships with ourselves and with those around us, and breaks relationships with creation. 
And we're going to do that by continuing on this Genesis narrative, looking at the who and the why, finding out what God is doing. There's some parts I left out of the story, but there will be time for that. But I want to pray that as we go through this, you will take the time in your own journey and in your own spaces to sit and reflect and contemplate, to look at your life and to say, where am I contending with death? Where is evil around me? And how has that produced the sin in my life? What are my activities that are breaking my right relationships? And is death the final word? Well, spoiler alert, it's not. (laughs) But we're going to delve into that some more. But for now, we're going to start to respond. So the band's going to come back up. In a second, Alex is going to come and lead us in this time. But I just... I want you to take a second. This is just a little exercise if you were here last week. I just want you to put both feet on the ground. Sit up straight. And what this is doing, we're just engaging our bodies. We're becoming fully present. I just want you to sit for a second. Close your eyes. Close out the people around you. And ask the question, where have you felt that separation in your life? What do you know of the separation in yourself and in your relationships? What do you know of the separation between you and God? What do you know of the separation with you and the world around us? the very nature, the very soil we inhabit. I'm going to pray for us in a second. I'm going to let us just sit. We're just going to take like a, a minute, and then the band's going to come in, and they're going, to, they're going to break the silence. But I want us to just sit. Because I want us to perceive and to sit with that separation. And then I want to invite us to respond in kind. There's going to be these rugs over here, and these are just a place, they're they're not magical. Uh, They're literally just a place where you can kind of just like do with your body what your heart is doing. And so if you need to kneel before God, if you need to lay flat before him, you need to sit, yeah, do it. It can be helpful to get out of that chair and to be reminded that What's happening here today isn't happening to you or for you, but it's happening with you and through you. And then we're going to have people who are here to pray for you. So I ask that you would just avail yourself of that. They'll be up here. They'll also be moving around. Maybe you've got somebody with you that you know can pray for you. Whatever the relationship, I pray that you would just engage it. And give to God a simple prayer. Lord, help me contend with the death in my life. Lord, help me to contend with the death in my life. 
And then we're going to sing because singing is cathartic. It gives voicings to our heart's cry. And the spirit of the Lord inhabits the praises of his people. And we need the Lord um, because that's what we're trying to get back to. We're trying to get back to the Tov Mayod when Jesus, when God was in the center of everything. And so let me pray. We'll sit for a second. We'll sit for a moment in silence. And then we will respond. Alex will come and guide us. Ryan will come and lead us to the table in a moment. Let us pray. Lord, I am reminded how often I bite you. How often I bite those around me. Death has had its way with me. But it will not have the final word. So Lord, would you help me contend with the death in me?